Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track podcast. I'm your host, Hugh Whiffin. I hope you're all doing well today. So today, let me tell you about today. Today's guest is an absolute powerhouse of a photographer um it's gavin watson and i've been wanting to meet gavin for a long long time i've long been a fan of his his photographs that document you know the the his time as a as a skinhead and and, and his photography of that skinhead culture as as there's so many books that he's put out and he's um put out a fantastic book documenting rave culture um and we speak about this we, we we speak about you know growing up where he grew up um you know having, having an irish mum and, and how that the, the vibe that that created in his house and and the parties that were in his house and 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 he, he chose some fantastic records and and it was so so honest and sincere what 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 gav chose and I won't say too much, but you know, talking about them, them times at home with, with his mum and stuff like that, it had a lot of impact on the song choice um, for one of the questions, and it was a beautiful answer. What one of the most, one of the most beautiful I think we've we've ever had on this podcast. Um, we speak about his time on the road, photographing Madness and the Nutty Boys, and we speak at length about how he discovered Plan. Not discovered Plan B as 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 found him as an artist, but just discovered him as an actor and 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 as a musician and and Harry really got into Plan B and then I, I won't say too much and then the kind of it's just weird how the, how the world works sometimes and then he ends up going on 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 the road with with Plan B and 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 photograph him um the the, the Strickland Banks times and just fantastic um he's he's everything you want in a guest gavin he's he's he knows who he is and he's a force of nature he's an absolute force of nature and you know before you even listen to this i'd I'd suggest just go and have a look at gavin's photos um you can just google gavin watson photographer and you'll see a, a, a cross section of of his work and it's absolutely fantastic i mean we speak about him photographing Morrissey um Gavin's worth of vice for, for a long long time um and just just go and have a look at his work because it was a real thrill for me to be able to sit down with someone whose work I absolutely adore um so I think I've spoke enough um 
and and Gav certainly doesn't have a problem chatting. So you're 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 in for some great chat today. Um, and we speak about um, he's he's Kickstarter for for a project that he's working on. So so do give that a look as well. Um, anyway. Before we get on with it, quick shout out to the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to my producer, 76. Big shout out to my name is Ad and Brad Acton for any video and um, artwork you might see accompanying this podcast. Um, we have a Patreon account as well. So if you want some more stuff from Off The Beaten Track, go over there. We've got merchandise. We've got oh, everything going on. And it's all in one spot. It's all at www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Come. Anyway, please enjoy Off the Beaten Track podcast with Mr. Gavin Watson. It's Off the Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with him. Right, we are recording. We are at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen. Thank you very much to those guys for letting us have a bit of space in their uh, their little back room. Um, I'm joined today by uh, photographer Gavin Watson. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> so it's been an interesting uh, process getting this one sorted. I, you were saying that you've been spinning plates, so um, I was lucky enough to get some exclusive uh, Gavin Watson photographs uh, via email that were totally not meant for me. I was trying to sort out the gig, and then all of a sudden I got an influx of uh, some fantastic photos of lasers from uh, Raves in 1988, by looks of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, because a lot of my time, especially recently, is <laughs> sitting on my ass in front of my computer, looking for images, sending images, and lately that's really heated up, so I've really got to keep a track of who I'm sending stuff to, and um, I'm working with this creative group on this uh, new happening project with a graphic artist called Sun Hill Power. And we're putting this little display together, like a beta show, to try and get out to a wider audience, you know, get the Tate A beta show? Yeah. But What's so that mean? It's, um, we exhibit the work, and then on private invite, we get the people that will hopefully be able to put it up into a bigger venue, like the Tate or the um, V&A, or whoever we can get down there to view the work. Um, I've never done that before, but that's, that's came from the graphic artist guy. Sunil, who I just randomly met once getting some sugar on the shoot, went into a studio and got any sugar, mate? Because oh, you're Gavin Watson. And like, we started talking and we sort of kept bumping into each other. And then we sat down and he told me this story about when he went to his first rave and he fell 50 foot off of the scaffolding and smashed all his head in. And I thought, I don't know, that story alone. Because in my book, I say about I sat on the scaffolding and I used to watch people and observe. And I could tell people that had just done their first day and never been there, I could just know exactly when their life is never going to be the same again. Yeah. Like mine was never the same again. <laughs> and for him, and I just said, let's do something together. He went, yeah, let's do it. Because he's under the rave umbrella. He was a bit younger than me, but we were under the umbrella. I don't, we, I don't have to explain anything to him. And it came together very, very naturally, which is perfect. It's always perfect when something is not forced. Yeah. It's grown and it's grown and it's grown. He's done some incredible pieces of art. It's going to sound pretentious now, but I've just given you my rave book now because I couldn't really function with colour film, colour slide film in, the, in that environment. It was far too intense. 
and colour film is, is, um, doesn't really have, have much leeway on it. So I had to take black and white. So the photographs look quite dark, actually. You know, they, it looks like quite a dark experience, a bit grim, a bit <laughs> sort of grimy. But that's not what I was seeing. I was seeing utter colour explosion. Yeah. The lasers, the clothes. It was colourful, like more colourful than the last, you know, two decades I'd been alive had been. I'm really convinced to this day that new colours came into the spectrum, what with the flyers and the way the graphic artists exploded, Photoshop exploded. So much creativity, not just from the music side of things and the actual going out and um, uh, the way we went out partying or the way we went out socially changed, but also graphics changed, colours changed, colours in the clothing changed. I think that's all partly part of that revolution that happened there. Okay, well, what we'll do is we'll, throughout this podcast, we'll, um, we'll sort of talk about your, your life today, and predominantly your creative journey. Oh, before I forget, yeah, the reason, yeah, because I didn't even finish that. You, you've got to be careful of that, I'll just drift off and stop. <laughs> That's right, go on, crack um, on. What Sonny has done is put, it, put the colour back into them. You know, he's taken, uh, I think it's 10, imi- 10, 10 images, and he's, yes, he's put the colour back into them graphically I'm really I love all that stuff I want to do a lot more collaborations I'm not precious at all when it comes down to yeah man as long as you don't cut up my stuff and make it look shit yeah then it's all (laughs) then you know I'm I'm up for working with anybody I love it I love it anyway sorry (laughs) no no um so what I'm going to do guys I'm going to work my way through um the songs that you've that you've uh, sent over in advance and what I normally do to, to kick off the podcast is start by saying what you regard as the song with the greatest intro. Yeah, Carl Orff, Kamana Barana. Yes, you can't get better than that, or more distinctive than that, or more just instantly know what's, what's coming. Yeah. You know, Kamana Barana, Carl Orff, that blew me away when I first heard it on an advert when I was 11 years old, and it still blows me every time I hear it now. Nothing compares with it, nothing is as powerful as it. You can try and copy it, but there's only one Kamani Barana. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it properly, but it had a powerful, powerful, powerful effect on me. Anything that's intense and as a you know, as a child, twelve years of age, <coughs> everyone else was getting whatever Osman's records and I was getting a <laughs> a big pack of five classical records from the different eras. I was a bit of a weird kid. But yeah, I loved classical really when I was young so you say he was a weird kid weird, weird as in how just shy very you know very quiet and then I'd have, they called me scatty because when I was with my mates I was extremely like all over the shop but most of the time I was on my own in my own little dream world and um, wanted to be left alone really I had lots of learning difficulties that weren't really acknowledged <clears throat> that made me even more retreat into myself so yeah I was, uh, but I wasn't You'd have thought I was lonely, but I wasn't. I enjoyed my own company. And I was quite sociable, but I was crazy. That's why they called me scatty, because I just was scatty. And um, so, yeah. But even at that young age, was you, like, you know, was you you academic? No, dreamy. No, not at all. I didn't speak till I was four. I had to be brain scanned and everything. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, they thought (laughs) proper... I don't know what to, you can say now, but back then it was spastic. Yeah. You know, 
Me, I always thought, I'm just not going to speak until I'm ready to. My brother was reading Shakespeare, a very powerful, overbearing character that could, you know, that functioned within, a, um, within the environment, his school environment. My younger brother was born and basically Elvis was born. So, and I'm there just about to sort of get noticed and it's like, <laughs> typical middle child stuff. But then again, I had those, those sort of difficulties that made it easier for my parents to focus on the other brothers and I was quite happy to be left alone, so... Was you creating anything then? I was always drawing, always painting, always, always, always. I was an arty, dreamy kid, real living in my fantasy world, you know. So, yeah, I was... Was that encouraged at home? Yeah, it was. Music was, very much so, but, you know, busy working-class parents with fucking no money. They ain't really got time to sit around and... Yeah. Moddy, coddle, yeah, but their music influenced me lot so there's a massive room for music my mum being Iris and my dad being um, uh, playing a clarinet and being very musical and my eldest brother being absolutely obsessed with Motown and a bit autistic himself so you're a very very musically based family really but just you don't have the time to to go oh that's really good you should become an artist that's nice (laughs) whatever Yeah, yeah whatever it's different back in the seventies and eighties. You know, you, there wasn't such a great focus on the kids of course. the house, and it wasn't just focus, focus, focus. And you know, thank God for the middle class mums because they're the ones that really started to sort of say, "My son ain't thick." Yeah. They're the ones that really started to push the dyslexic thing. Yeah. You know, so God love them. Where most of it was just, "Oh, you're down in the bottom group because you yeah. just, you know, you can't learn." Yeah. And um, and I, I think thing, that you know. carried on through the eighties. You know, I, I can can see it in certain people that, you know, I, I, you know, my years at school, there was definitely people that were, which just seemed to be, you know, disruptive, but, yeah. you know. But and, you'd and, go around their house and they could fix an engine blindfolded. That sort of or thing. Or look after animals like yeah. bloody, you know, Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. No. Or draw paint. Or draw and paint. But, you know, that was, there wasn't room. You know, England is not an artistic country. It's a business country. It's, um, so we don't respect our artists. So we've got to struggle. That's why we're fucking brilliant at everything we do. Okay, so... Th- and we are. This, this you think about, think about the stuff that comes out of this country, the creativity that comes out of this country and that doesn't come out of Europe because they all moddy-coddle their artists. Yeah, it's tough here. You want to be a DJ, you better start climbing on the shoulders of not just people in London, but the people in Manchester, the people in Bristol. You know, they don't have that around the world. And when I was in Paris and I realised rave could have only spurred out of this place, yeah. out of England... Yep, sorry, carry on. No, no, I, I want to get on to, 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 to Rave, but let, let, let's just take it back. So I want to talk about school a bit more anyway. Um, but the first song you remember hearing that had an, an emotional impact on you, something that sort of struck you? Well, I thought about that. Of course, I went through the, you know, I was trying to go through the chart stuff and stuff when I was a kid, and I realised, well, that's not it. It was my mum's, when all the Irish relatives would come round, and my mother would start singing with an incredible, credible voice and just everyone would be just done. Still to this day, if she ever gets up and starts singing, just even down the Irish club, you know, just could make a room go silent. And then everyone goes, oh, bloody Irish, they'll all start crying because they'll be drunk. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, of course, you're a little kid, you get, and I'm very sensitive, so you over, get overwhelmed, yeah. you know what I mean? And they were always trying to force me to sing, come on, sing, sing, sing. I would never do it. I was a stubborn little fucker. I yeah. might have been a dreamy kid, but they never got me to sing. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever been in a room full of 
drunken Irish people trying to force you to sing. It took a bit for me to... No, it wasn't having it. So was there, was there like, you know, good parties and that at home, you know? And when my uncles came round. Were they the Irish? Yeah, the yeah. Irish, yeah. But until that, my mum and dad weren't very big social people. They'd moved in from London, didn't really have many friends in Wickham. It wasn't an open house. It was an yeah. open house for my friends and the kids. But when it came down to them, they were sort of pretty much contained in a unit. Um, yeah, there wasn't much of a social life. And then every now and again, my uncles would come up and stir things up a bit. My dad wasn't a drinker at all. You know, at all. He was a very, you know, hard-working, typical English guy that didn't say much and worked his nuts off to provide for his family and do his best. And, um, yeah, my uncles are Irish builders from Kilburn. <laughs> so would that have been a, a raucous night of singing and drinking? Yeah, and... we always had to be in bed, though. Oh, really? Yeah. So Can going, you remember being oh, upstairs God, and hearing oh, it downstairs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd, and we'd go down in the morning, there'd be barrels of, well, boxes of bottles of beer and the smell. Yeah. Smell of the beer, you know, the stuff. My uncles would be crashed out in the front room and they'd always give us fivers. They were great, man. They were just great. And we'd go down and see them in Cricklewood and Kilburn. So that, <coughs> and my dad being a, an, what do they call it, Anglophobe. When, they, when somebody really loves it, because my mum was Irish, she loved the whole Irish culture. And so we had the Dubliners in the house, which I loved. Um, so I grew up with all that Irish folk stuff. So there was always music on at home? Yeah. Yep, so that was, um, so yeah, emotionally it would be, she walked through the fair, and as I found out yesterday, that that's, you know, that's an old Irish folk song, they don't even know who wrote it. So they've got some beautiful songs, the Irish, incredible. So you said you was middle child, so um, older brother, was it that kind of thing where the older brother's got a good record collection and you go and, you go and have a Mark, nose through it? Not really, but because I was weird, I'd sit in the front room with him because he used to have this habit of rocking back and forwards like this and he'd just, just play Motown and Diana Ross a bit after. And I was quite happy to go and be looking through the catalogue, looking at the most expensive stuff in it. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd be there on a sunny, sunny afternoon and you'd be just... I mean, I was no... I was n neutral about it. I was neutral about the Motown until I hear anything Motown now and I'm straight back there, straight back there got an inner appreciation for that now because of Mark. It's um, crazy how that instills itself, in it? Yeah, yeah. It went in there like some sort of secret food, you know. I, I, I there was music on. There was Motown on in my house growing up, and, and there was also you know my parents listened to some dreadful stuff as well. You know, I was in a generation when I was little where there was nonsense like Brother of the Man and stuff like that flowing about, and Leo Sayer and. Too big. <laughs> <laughs> but I, because I was a kid growing up now and I love all that stuff now but, perfect harmony but I look back now and I think that that you know as, as someone you know become a, you know, a, a musician for years and stuff like that that early memories of Motown it's amazing how that can affect you and you know for me that gave me an insight into pop music you know because that was pop music of his time and it was it was sweet sanding and it was heartbreak and it was oh, you know the hooks and the melodies were just it was it was so palatable yeah it was amazing and you, i didn't as i said i didn't really think much of it because i was it was just there and it wasn't really my musical taste it was my older, my older brother's musical taste i mean i loved my dad's we didn't have many records but my dad had those cheesy 
um, a couple of greatest hits from the 50s you'd bought from yeah. Willie's. But not, not Elvis was never on them. Yeah. It was always like, yeah, the, basically the like. But hats off to Larry. And I loved that stuff. I imagine myself being in it's like, um, oh, I could think of the other ones. Hats off to Larry. That rock and roll, that cheesy rock and roll when I was a kid. I loved it. I loved it. And um, run away. Run, 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 run. Then that thing that comes in the middle. Oh, that, mi- that, that Del Shannon, that middle yeah, eight, that, yeah, that yeah. kind of like, it's like a stylophone, isn't it? It's like, and it's, it's fucking frantic, isn't it? It's amazing. It's, it's yeah. punk. It's yeah. And then so I sort of, if I was on my own, I'd be listening to that or classical. And um, and some of the Irish folk songs, and my they had a, a a box set of folk music, and the first album had Frankie Lane, uh, not Frankie Lane, um, the black um, the guy that dresses all in black, died a few years back. Oh my God, Chuck Berry. No, he's not a black dude, but he's dressed in black. Oh, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, and it had the Folsom Prison, and I can remember that being, I saw every part of that. I saw the people on the train. I've got a very huge imagination, and it's very visual. And, um, you know, I saw that. And any song now, or any song that... And then I realised when I reviewed what I love about music, anything that brings images to my mind like Tallahassee Bridge, that song. I don't know what it's called, but Tallahassee Bridge. I see it, I see the people, I see the characters. And the same with Johnny Cash. So I used to, used to listen to that a lot as well. Or listen to, and that's why I love that Eno Morricone. Eno, I'm fucking up with the name. Eno Morricone. Fucking never can pronounce it. It's an odd one, that one. <laughs> anyway, the guy that done all the bloody spaghetti westerns. I yeah. loved those. Loved them because I'd, I'd envision them. I'd see, I'd make my own films in my head. So anything I can, could do that with. And then when the punk and madness came out, it was anything with that energy. That, and then another module to my musical taste became well, anything that is done honestly and invokes energy. You know? Well, that, that's perfect because that brings us on to track three, which is a song that reminds you of your time at school. And, uh, and you... I had to think a lot about that one, actually, Stuart, because the weirdest songs are the ones that remind you of school. Not the ones you listen to with your mates, but the one that was on, like, Love Comes Down. You, you make my love come down. Yeah. That reminds me of school. Yeah. And so does Haircut 100. Fantastic yep. day. Duran Duran. Yeah. Spandau Ballet. Yeah. Any of those songs can bang and pop on. How, how old are you, Gav? 53. 53, okay. So any of those songs can come on, and I'm like, whoa, you know, Boy George. We were going to school all confused and fuck. It, it was so bizarre. It I mean, was like, every, every, all, the, all the boys were like, <laughs> But it sounds so ridiculous now when you think about it, isn't it? In, in, you know, with, with a modern mind now, you look back and, and it sounds so weird if you try and tell people that that first time that, that Boy George was on top of the box. It wasn't outrageous. He no, just, not at all. He just had a bit of makeup. But it was just the fact that people were. <laughs> it was front page news. Is it a guy? Is it a girl? But Barry had done it a, exactly. a decade before, but we knew Barry was a dude. Yeah. Boy George was brilliant because, the, you know, literally the whole country, he just. Same as Madness. Yeah. One minute they were there, not there. Next minute, they've just taken over the whole country. I was just glad to be a part of it. And so, 
you chose madness. I chose that because I what finally had describes my school experience. Right. It came out when I was at school. And I think one of the greatest songs that was released when I was at school was We Don't Need No Education. My God, that was like, thank you. Yeah. Somebody out there fucking understands. Yeah. You know, and then it made us look at this like, it's not only us looking at these horrible people that are at the bottom of the dregs of teachers. They look like some out of a freak show. And um, they are beating us around with cases, and they're just... And then Pink Floyd come out with that, and they hit the nail on the fucking head. And it's, it's weird, going back to what you said a, a, a moment ago, Gav, where you said you, you, can, you can listen to it and you can picture it. And the imagery attached to Brick in the Wall is so vivid, isn't it? Yeah. That, that, that video it of... It stays the, you forever once you've uh, seen it. Yeah, and, and the same... With madness, you know, madness is even without the videos that were a big part of why madness became so big because their videos, as any young lad, seeing them on top of the pops, it was the greatest thing ever. It was us. I, I, could, I was like, there's us, we're, we're on television. Yeah. yeah how, what else can you relate to? Little House on the Prairie, the fucking. Exactly. You can relate to any of it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's your mates, all your elder brothers jumping yeah. up and down on stage. But, Aside from them videos, when you listen to the, the lyrics that, you know, uh, I think it might even be Mike Barson wrote a lot of the lyrics for Madness, I'm not sure. Yeah, they swapped um, it around a lot. I yeah. mean, um, to Tomo wrote Embarrassment as yeah. about his sister. And, and fucking hell. I mean, the thing is, right, and I, I, I'm, I, I've said this before on a podcast, but people credit great British bands like the, the Beatles and the Kinks and, you know, and so bands like the Kinks with their social commentary madness don't get the credit they deserve because I think maybe of the kind of slapstick style videos that it, det it detracted a little bit from what they were saying and what they were saying embarrassment being the best yep. example yep. was fucking bang on social commentary right yep. and, and, and as you were saying Gordon, that was Lee wrote that about yeah Lee wrote that about his sister you know had a mixed race kid and um you know, it was a big deal at the time. That's what embarrassed we thought, which I love about art and creativity, is we thought it was about being a skinhead. We thought yeah. that it was about com coming home and being a skinhead. And it was only years later he found out it was about his sister's um, first baby, which was with, with a black fellow. And it was, a, you know... Again, with the, with the, the 60s hold over everything is still here, mate. Still here. It's, it's really embarrassing. It's got to go away. It's a long time ago. Yeah. And that's why madness, people like Madness... But they got their respect at the Olympics. That's, yeah, yeah. They yeah. got their nod at the Olympics. They got their sort of, yeah, you're... you're the. And do you know what? It's, it's, it's really weird. Like, years ago, I was, I was in a uh, recording studio in the, in the mid-'90s. Um, and uh, in the studio next door was... Like, I could hear a ska band. And so I thought, I'll go and stick my head in and have a look. And Lee was managing them, and Lee was in there. And I, I was a, an obsessive. And, I, 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 you know, by the time I was listening to Madness, they'd been and gone, really. And I, and it, I just connected with that band. It just said everything I wanted to hear. And Funny enough, I did with The Doors at 25. Uh, same. They were playing. My, my my dad used to work in Camden. Make it. He make belts in the week and sell them in Camden. And uh, the guy who did things down had. I be, I, be, I became totally obsessed with the Doors. Yeah. I, until I saw the until I got older than Jim Morrison when he died. And then, yeah. It's funny that. But yeah. But I, I spoke to Lee 
and and he, and he and he was an absolute fucking gentleman. He he, he was so much fun, and uh, and then we went out that night like me band, and then when we come out uh, Camden Palais, Lee was fly postering at the back of a van, and like and I I was like, hey, you fly postering Lee, and he was like, oh fucking brassic mate, and I just thought, ah. Fucked that was that that band that had more top 40 hits than any other British band in the 80s, and he's fly postering for a living. I mean, don't get me wrong, the mad stocks and that that come afterwards, I'm, I'm sure that they're all right now. Like, uh, uh, I know Lee, I know, I was, yeah, I know Lee really well. I drove when Madness split up, they started the Nutty Boys. Oh, mate, I saw them about four or five times. Yeah. So, and I've done all their album cover. Anyway, so oh, did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, we're at randomly, the story is, is that I get a phone call from, I forget his name now, but it was quite big in the skinhead scar scene. He goes, oh, Gav, Chrissy Boy needs um, some pictures for his new band, The Crunch. No, The Nutty Boys. The so album's I called Crunch, the one, yeah. I've done the one with the glasses. Really? Yeah. So, I photographed, met them there. Me and Chrissy Boy became instant mates, basically. So he said, why don't you become our driver and our photographer? So I just, they went on a real bottom tour, like a, the basic fucking 300 people. Yeah. So I, I, I saw them at the venue in New Cross. Yeah. We, we drove all around England. What and was they, they started again, mate. They start, they, those two started again in the back of a van and went round and just... Yeah, with the Nutty Boys. When was that? About 92, 93? Yeah, we're getting off the night. And I've got a whole... I spoke to Chrissy Boy the other day, and uh, I want to do... I said, Chrissy Boy, there's a fucking book in this, mate, in that tour, because I've got all the pictures. Sexy Steve on the sax? (laughs) No, we got a book. We got a book. We got a book. It was Sexy Steve, wasn't it? That was his name, wasn't it? Yeah, and I didn't know that, that... I don't know how much I can say on a podcast, but anyway, so I'm working with them, meeting all the band and all the new guys. I go, oh, that's Sexy Steve. He goes, why did you call him Sexy Steve? And Chrissy Boy said, you'll find out. We're in Hamburg, of all places, in a rotten cafe. It's like basically going down Old Kent Road and I'm sitting in a kebab shop on a fucking Saturday morning or Sunday morning about four o'clock. And these rotten, the rotten birds came in. I fuck rotten, and he was like, just, just went into sexy Steve mode. And then, was like, <laughs> and then I saw it while they were called him sexy. It just didn't matter, mate, if you were fucking. Wouldn't matter what you were, if, as long as you had a vagina. Sexy Steve was sexy there. Sexy Steve was <laughs> unbelievable. He just had like all like most of those guys have got such a thick skin. Yeah, you can say it to their face, and it's like bomb. And it's like, it was weird to watch, weird to watch. But anyway, so we had this great adventure. I was about 28, 29 at the time. And then um, what was beautiful about it is like Chrissy Boy would have to sit up with me. He didn't have to, but he did. He'd sit up with me all night while we were driving from city to city. And, um, and I was puffing all the time. I just had, well, drove straight to Venlo and bought loads of puff. It's a fucking brilliant story. Thank you for reminding me. I'm, I'm going to get to Chrissy. We're going to do a book on this. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, and Chrissy Boy was set up with me. And he just told me the whole story about the breakup and the breakdown. And he was traumatised by it, man. He was... You know... And I'm not going to go... I mean, it's not my place to yeah, talk about the thing. But uh, I was very hum, You know, very humbled... For, have that experience to go across the whole of Europe here in Chrissy because I, I, Madness changed my life I wouldn't be sat here bruv yeah. talking to you if it wasn't for Madness 
my, my life would not have gone on the path it went on if I had not have fallen in love with madness. Yeah. And then, to be, and then I got to know the rest of the band. And now, yeah, you know, I've got to know all of them quite... Well, Suggs I've got to know, and I've got to know um, uh, Carl quite well. But Chrissy Boy and Tomo became actual mates, yeah. like proper mates. Yeah. And funny, because the other day, my friend Barry, the black guy that's in my skin's um, photographs, he lives in Brighton, and he's no, he, he links up with Chrissy Boy quite a lot. Um, so, Diomani Publishing in Italy, are just the Ita- oh my God, hey man, oh, I don't know if we can use it, a title. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you can't use a title, mate? It's like, it's not even the name of the song. It's a line in the song. I said, you'd have to go around and take every book out, book out of the bookshelf yeah. you'd find a line anywhere. But no, they weren't having it. So and thought, that's to call the book, Oh What Fun We Had. Yeah. yeah. Oh What Fun We Had. They wanted me to get permission. I thought, oh God, I've got to phone Chris. And there's nothing worse than not fucking phoning somebody up 10 years later to ask for something. Yeah. So I phoned Barry up, thinking I was doing a good thing, not being a cheeky fucker. Yeah. And I said, oh, Barry, can you contact Chrissy Boy and ask him about this? Oh, what fun. <laughs> Barry got back to him, no, he won't let you use it. Like, what? Because if you can't fucking phone him yourself, fuck <laughs> off. And I'm like, shit. So I phoned him up. I said, Chrissy, I was actually doing this because I didn't want to phone you up out of the blue and be asking for something. Yeah. But yeah, it was cool. So that's when I brought up, we've got to do that live tour, the Nutty Boys tour. We've got to do it. We've got to do a book of it. It was a fucking... We went there, second night. We've gone to the, one of the French... I don't know how they, how they look at us, the French. We've gone to one of their most famous cathedral towns. I wish I could remember the name, but they've got two cathedrals there. Anyway, Tomo goes off his head. He was a, a nightmare. A nightmare. Next minute, he's arrested. And not only arrested, they arrested him. He's been fucking taking the heads off the gargoyles. And he's got his coat stuffed with these little gargoyles. Like, he's fucked up their fucking 14th century, 8th century cathedral. They should have thrown him somewhere. And we had a gig the next day, so I had to more or less get him out of prison and beg for forgiveness for this horrible Jesus. British geezer that climbed up the he was up there oh man and that was only the first fucking night Jesus oh it's like going on to, you know they talk about all these fucking crazy rock bands made nothing on these fucking bastards and I was just as bad I drove into Germany everything in the van everything in the van and when I drove from we, about 30 miles drove into Venlo got a load of puff and then we're going through the border and the fucking German police jump out. Like, it never happened. Surrounded us with shooters. And I'm just sat there. My mate Phil's in the seat next to me. And I'm just totally calmed. Just like... And he's just... I looked at him and he's just like he's going to die. Because <laughs> you just see, we've got all this puff up here. We've got all the band's equipment. And, I, and the soldiers went, oh, yeah, you can go, you can go. So we left. And then we started to run out of petrol. So I had to drive to the German countryside. I don't ever been in the German countryside, but it's pretty bleak. And we're going to—we're still 15 miles away from. And none, none of the band know we've gone. I've just gone. I've just taken Phil and gone with the van. And over the hill was this just guy was just shutting up the petrol station, just closing. And we, so we got there, and we got there, and we pulled up outside the 
this Phil Payne, he was in a band called Arnold, and he was also in the Low Numbers. Yeah. He was Chrissy Boy's brother-in-law. We became, we sort of fell in love in a fact, you know, a proper bromance when I met him. And I met him through Chrissy Boy, and we were, we were joined at the hip for about three or four years after that, trying to make music, trying, just trying to do stuff. But anyway, so Phil, we pull up outside, and he just turns to me and goes, you're the fucking devil, Watson. <laughs> you're the fucking devil. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> All right, well, track four, the first song you remember buying in a record shop. Ying Tong Song, Goons. <laughs> I told you I was fucking a strange kid. That's fucking brilliant. And I know it off by heart still to this day. So did you, you rinsed it then? Until my family went to murder me. And on the other side is Spike Milligan singing, I'm walking backwards for Christmas to prove that I love you. <laughs> I tried walking sideways, I'm walking to the front, but people just looked at me and said, it's a publicity stunt. I love that sort of shit. Even at seven or eight, I yeah. loved it. Crazy. And then Monty Python comes along yeah. and you're like, and you're just, you discover them. And you've just turned 14, 15, and you are just like your most vicious where everybody's a kind and you're just uh, brilliant. And I'm, we used to run home from school to watch Harold Lloyd. I yeah. hate the way that they, that the elitist establishment painted us as fucking horrible, you know, less than human. They're scum, man, such scum. We were quite cultured, you know. Harold Lloyd was a, like, because for me, I remember thinking like at R5, like, it was Rolf's Cartoon Club, and I mean, yeah. you know, that all went a bit weird. But um, I know, but look at the guy. I mean, I don't. But I, I would sit there and watch him draw, and Rolf, think, unbelievable. Still to this day, get a paintbrush and gloss, and then do something like that. Holy fuck! Shame he done the other shit. Um, well, you know, at the end of the day, it's fucking all those politicians get away with shit, mate, and they fucking scapegoat this person. Maybe he does deserve to be there because he was obviously a little bit dodged, but mate. There's people out there a lot higher than him. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that fucking route. But, but regardless, take strip all that stuff away. Uh, people of our generation grew up with this uh, inspiring artist that was basically genius. Genius level. Copier, yeah, but genius level. And then you'd flick over to BBC Two and you'd watch Harold Lloyd. And Harold Lloyd would be on. And we'd rush home to watch that. Yeah. Right? We'd rush home to watch Harold Lloyd. Because and, we knew it was genius. And it was, wasn't it? And it was sad, I got to mid-twenties and late-twenties when you'd be sitting up all night and had such a chance to, to make television, like late-night television for all our stoneheads brilliant, and they just put shitty fucking game shows on. Yeah. I haven't watched television in 15 years, but I'm just saying, they had an opportunity. Back then, BBC Two, just in the early 80s, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I had some really good cultural stuff on that was, uh, you know... Like well, look at, look at the fucking young ones as well, you know? When the young ones dropped on, like, BBC Two, I mean, the impact that that had on, you know, I was probably, what, 13, and, like, the yeah, impact that had on, on me and my mates at school, it was like, we was too, too young for Python, we'd missed it, and it was like, yeah. and this was our entrance to alternative comedy, and it was like, and it felt punk rock, Yeah, you know? oh, well, it was. And it was like, absolutely, absolutely punk rock. It was a real... That wouldn't, they probably wouldn't allow it now. And you'd see it, and then in the middle of it, there'd be fucking madness would be yeah, on it. Or the damned. Oh, like, bloody well, put your face in. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember all that. And, yeah. it was just and then you had comic strip. Yeah. You know, which was just awesome. You know, this British cultural um, observations, which, I, you know, I'm part of that club. Yeah. You know, I'm a part of that, that cultural club. And that's why I loved what Boyle done. I was going to ask Boyle to do the forward to my book, but I'm going to go with Ben from Plan B because I love him. And uh, So you, you, you followed Ben around photographing him, right? What do you mean, fucking? I don't follow anyone around. <laughs> he asked me to take some photographs of him. <laughs> no, but um, do you want to hear a great story about that one? Always. Fucking mental. I'm going to get another point first, so... Hold tight, let me pause it. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Right, we've gone and got another drink and we're back. So before we stopped, um, we was about to start talking about the work you've done with uh, Ben Drew, Plan B. Okay, quick funny story. Not quite quick. I was an actor for 10 years. I've always been very um, interested in films and, and all, that, all that thing. Not so much anymore. In fact, it's gone to a bit of a hatred now. Not for movies, but for Hollywood. But anyway, I loved all that crap, so it actually inspired me to become an actor. I became an actor for TV and movies for about five... Uh, but yeah, about 10 years. I don't know why. What a waste of bloody time. No, it wasn't a waste of time. Anyway, I ended up doing EastEnders, ended up doing the Bill Nine Times, shut your mouth, you slag. <laughs> you don't come from around here, do your sunshine. Never got to play a soldier, never got to fucking kiss anybody, never got to do anything except dress how I always dressed anyway in real life and go, shut your mouth, you slag. Anyway, so I'm interested in acting. So, of course, um, I'm a Michael Caine fan, Harry Brown comes out, and I'm watching Harry Brown, and for the first time, when you see a, an actor acting tough, you look, you're an actor, you've been down the gym, you're acting tough. 
but there was a character in this movie that was so horrible, I actually didn't believe he was an actor. I believe they'd gone to a Borst or a prison and got somebody that had done an acting course and goes, yeah, you'll do. He was so horrible. He was fucking vile in that film, wasn't he? It disturbed me. I didn't know who he was. It disturbed me, and yeah. I don't normally get disturbed like that. Like, that is... It reminded me of my more brutal, um, less intelligent mates that were just clinging on to a moral, some form of moral fibre. Yeah. It's like, their kids. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, like, they talk people are stabbing an old man up in an alley, which was just the last... You know, that just would never have happened in our in a skinhead gang. It just was... Just, no. And uh, so, yeah, this is disturbed. So I'm like, fucking hell. I didn't think much about it. Next minute, I'm going through YouTube. A bit pissed. Had a couple of glasses of wine. And there's the same geezer singing like a girl. I couldn't, but I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I became a utter teenage fangirl from that point onwards. It's 45, 43. <laughs> I became obsessed. And really, you don't, that doesn't really happen much when you get over a certain age. I'm like, this geezer's amazing. His videos were amazing. It was a Strickland Banks time. And I'm like, my God, this geezer's fucking incredible. His videos are incredible. So I'm soaking all this stuff up. And I'm getting on the tube one day, and I've gone down to... Um, I'm, I can't remember where I'm going, but I know I'm going through Leicester Square because I'll never forget it. And behind me is the old metro. It's mobbed. The tube's mobbed. So I get the metro out, open the metro. It's that 60-second interview. Oh, plan B. I like him. Got to the end. He goes, Ben, what are you doing for Christmas? I don't like Christmas very much. But last year... No, I don't like Christmas very much. It normally ends up in a big argument. But last year, my girlfriend bought me a print by Gavin Watson. He's a photographer. I really like him. And I'm looking at this going, what the fuck? That's me, Dave. <laughs> no, do you, know, do you know what the first thing I thought? Fuck, that's all I need, another Gavin Watson. As if things ain't hard. And halfway through, <laughs> and halfway through thinking that, I thought, oh, that's me. It was a mental feeling. It was a really... I'm not a sycophant, but that was fucking mental. Yeah. So um, there was... I, I, I had a few connections um, that were connected to Ben. And we just met up around my friend Ed Scrinehouse. I know, Ed. He's been on my podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, was, uh, you know, and that, that was part of the video as well because there was... Ed was in one of them. And I'm like... And I've known Ed since he was 13, so I, but he's not in it enough for me to go, is that Ed? Yeah. <laughs> so I get me running and go, that is Ed. No, that's too much of a monster to yeah. be Ed. That's not Ed. Ed teaches swimming down the fucking... He's not a monstrous stabber murderer. <laughs> Can't be Ed. And it was Ed. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so that brought... And Ed was one of the first guys to ever buy one of my pieces, pieces as an art piece. He's lovely, man. A fucking amazing dude. I love him to death. You know, as I said, he's um, yeah, he's a lovely man, and he um, yeah, as I said, he was last time I saw him, he was te I met him down at the swimming pool. You know, we went and had a cup of coffee while he teach and went off to teach the kids. So I couldn't put it together him being now he's in, making Deadpool in Hollywood. With yeah, light. Yeah. yeah, but it's a beautiful story because you know he never tried, he never went for it. That opportunity just came, just blossomed because he's a star. You're either a star like yeah. Brad Pitt. Or you're a bloke that isn't a star that does theatre in London. But, yeah. But if you're a star, you're a star. And Ed is the sort of dude that will ride a bike from John O'Groats to Land's End. He will swim the channel. So he's not only a star sort of a, a, on the screen. He can do that. He can, 
you know, you don't choose people to be in these parts unless they can hold it up. You know, so it's not anyone could do that shit. And so he introduced you to Ben? Mm. I went round Ed's house and met Ben. I was a bit shy, actually. Weird. And I sort of, then he invited me down to the Brits and then he said, why don't you come work for me then? I said, yeah, all right. He said, we'll do a book together. So, and then I'd done all the Ill Manners artwork, like all the booklet, the cover. I'd done the Ill Manners uh, movie poster. And yeah, Ben looked after me, man. He looked after me well. And he's going to do the forward to my book because I've got a lot of respect for him and he's got a lot of respect for me. So who else to really do it? I can't think of anyone else. That's wonderful, mate. Yeah, and he brings it. He brings up to a, a younger generation um, to talk about my work. I could get some old fuddy-duddy to do it, but nah. So we're going to talk about the, the, the book that I'm looking at now, which... which falls perfectly with the next track which is a song that soundtracked your years in Clubland yeah that's a beloved I never look at it as Clubland actually Stuart I look upon it as fucking cow sheds and uh, slough centre you know I never really went to any established clubs so uh, yeah it's more fields fields and tents and an old crumbling town hall in slough or whatever it was I don't know what it was but yes, uh, the beloved Sunrising, there was no contest with that, really, because I spent two weeks in Paris looking after the gallery out there for my rave show. So I had um, a load of acid, old school acid stuff playing on YouTube all day long. And uh, so... And that's a weird song, because uh, as much as it was a, a rave classic, it's... It's quite slow, isn't no, it? No, no, it's, it's the, it is for the end of the evening. Yeah. That's what it's for. It's for the end of the evening. But that's when you really started coming back into Compass Mentor. So you yeah. sort of summed it up yeah. more than the chaotic... It's, it summed it up for me, the closeness, the, the, the warmth, you know. So what, what I'm interested in as well, Gav, is the fact that I missed it by about two years, Acid Ass, and I live in Essex, so there was so much going on in fields in Essex. It was it was all happening. Essex is the biggest county, isn't it? Yeah, in um, England. And and the thing that that I find quite strange when I because I'm I'm fascinated by it because I missed it, and I love music and I love Acid Ass music, and I'm gutted that I didn't get to experience it. And as a club promoter, the whole concept that it got took out of clubs and it got and it become punk rock right it was like we're gonna fucking DIY this like fuck me brother says in there it was it was more punk than punk ever was and and you know and it's and it's it's complete DIY it's like let's take it out of these vile yuppie ridden chrome field venues and let's go and stick it in a in a field and and let's just it was taken out of the hands of the elite clubbers, the big, but the posh kids from our town that would go down to the mud club and they'll grow their DAs and grow their whatever and be the elites. They were standing next to us in a fucking cow shed, like stamping in cow shit with a disco ball above us a so, year later. And it was wonderful. It was just oh, brilliant. So you, you had your camera for a lot of this, right? Yes, I did. So was you aware that culturally something... Yes, I was. was. Was really happening here. Yeah, I absolutely just fucking yes. <laughs> and I was amazed. I went down to Camera Press 
I took it off for a little while because I was part of this, um, the third biggest news agency where I worked at 16 as a darkroom assistant, but I always kept connections to give them stories if stories came up. So I was getting into the raves because um, the guys that were running the Slough Centre ones and the guys that were running the ones in the um, fields around High Wycombe, they wanted me to come and take photographs at the raves so I could, so they've got photographs of them because they love being photographed and they, to use them on flyers. Now, I didn't want to take my camera at all, mate. I'd had enough. I've been photographing since I was 14. I've been working for Sounds newspaper, going around Europe photographing bands for the last three years, mate. I'd had enough. I was acting. I wasn't even interested that much in photography. I'd had enough of it. The last thing I wanted to do was take a fucking Nikon camera with a big Mets flash on it to a rave where everyone's paranoid because every, every second person's a copper. Because, yeah, it was a massive, massive paranoid, paranoid shit going on. No one else had a camera, nobody. And, I'm, and, and that's the thing, because when I look, Gav, and, I, and, I, and you know, I, I scour the internet for images of acid ass, and there's about 10 that get used all the time. You've got a book full. Like, I got, yeah, I could do another book as you well. You know, that's such a, an incredible thing to have doc, you know, you're responsible for documenting that. You know, whenever you see video footage, it's the same bit of footage. Yeah, same bit of footage in and the like, daylight. Is that's it. That's it. Well. It is that. It's that. No one's got it in its purest form. Yeah, well, that's that's because uh, I, I, you know, I sort of, no, I didn't reject it. I'd done the book for political reasons for my own self. The thing is, I just could not. I found it that I could so easily hide behind. The skinhead, well, I don't even like calling it skinhead anymore, but the early 80s work that I did, I could live in there, I could live there forever. But I just couldn't keep talking about it. And I was like, I'm a photographer that used to be a skinhead. It's not the other way round. And I've got so much, and I thought, I've got this rave book. So every time I've done an interview, they're going, what are you doing next? I didn't have a puppy, I'm doing a rave book. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I'm doing a rave book. And then D my brother phoned DJ History up and they just got on it straight away. But um, then it just dawned on me, I went go down to camera press. I went down to camera press quite late with a series of pictures, expecting it to have been a wash because it had been in the sun. Ecstasy wrappers, yep. ecstasy wrappers. I'll never forget that. So I was expecting there to be a flood. Never, no one ever. They wanted to ignore it, ignore it out of existence, mate. You know, they just didn't want to touch it because it was a real revolution. It was a real change. And then that changed in well, regards changed to the Criminal Susan, Justice Act. And well, so no, that never affected anything. It never affected one fucking little thing. What really affected it was um, they opened Ministry of Sound. So yeah. they established it, which is fair enough, mate. We live in a small country. You're middle-aged now. I'm middle-aged. Can you fancy having those up the road, 40k sound systems every weekend up the fucking road with a load of lunatics out there on drugs? It, you couldn't do it. It was brilliant for a couple of years, but you just couldn't keep doing it. It's just not viable. But unfortunately, it bred the super club, which, you know, mm. a, a, as, a, as a promoter, it's something I've personally swerved because it's, I don't know, I, and, I'm, and I'm sure there's it's people... well away from the purity of what the grassroots purity it came out it's of. It's not punk rock. No, it's ELO. As we it is, it's earlier. ELO. It's, it's ELO know. and Super Tramp. Yeah. 50 million pounds, you know, you start everyone looking at the DJ. That's, look at my book, try and spot, yeah, I've got a couple of pictures of DJs, but no one's looking at them. Yeah. They're tucked away in the corner. Yeah. You know. It's very strange. I've, I've been watching... Carl Cox, mate, he deserves all the respect you can ever give. He's a genius. But, 
you know, some bloke bringing out, bringing in a fucking USB stick, getting fifty million quid for it. That's wrong. That's wrong. Well, I, I find it really strange um, that I, I'm, I'm a DJ and and I've been for many, many, many years now, and and I've. I'd be offended, not that anyone would ever want to take a picture of my old face, but... You've got a good face, Stuart. Thanks, Gav, for being kind now, mate. No, I'm not. You look like uh, the guy no. from Game of Thrones. Oh, I'll have that. The big fella, the... Um, what's his name? The big geezer with the little... The, had the little girl with him. What, the one with a melted face? No, well, yeah, that was only <laughs> later on, but yeah. <laughs> but not him as an actor. Like, oh, I'll have that, yeah. mate. I'll have that. Know, yeah. I'll tell um, Ed Scrine that. He was in yeah. that, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he was. I never got out of him. Why he only what? Because the other guy's shit. Yeah, yeah. He, he did touch on it on the podcast, but he didn't say too much. So I let. I, I, I didn't push him on that. No, I wonder what politics went on there. But um, but the thing is, what I find you know strange what, is a, going back to that. That's probably the best thing that could have happened to him. Yeah, actually, you know, he went on to do Deadpool after that. Yeah, not to be fucking. But yeah. to, to go back to what I was saying about like taking a photo of a DJ, it's like. I went, when I went, I said to you earlier, I went to Ibiza a couple of years ago for the first time and just just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. And I went to space to see Cold Cox because I'd be told that that's the thing to go and experience. And and I just hated it. I hated everything about it. Mm. And and what I find really weird is, I've been watching that documentary on BBC Three called Can You Feel It? about the um, evolution of dance music. And, and, oh, it, right, and, it, and it was, no, it was really that. good. It was re- The first two episodes were fantastic. And then it gets on to, and it, and it talks about, you know, acid ass, it talks about rave culture and stuff like that. And then it finishes in Vegas with Oakenfold or Calvin Harris or one of these mega DJs doing these things. And it's got the club owner saying, we will, what we do is you can hire this table here with a minimum spend of like 10 grand, but from here you can actually see in the DJ booth. And I just thought, what stop the it. fuck? Yeah, stop I don't even want to hear that. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it's like that is just what like what, what where wh- yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that. yeah 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 and I, and I was yeah, just it's, it's your brain <laughs> your brain is trying to find words for it and it can't. Why do you want to stand behind a red rope and look at a DJ? Get out on the floor, put your fucking phone in your pocket, and lose yourself. NPCs, mate. Like copycats are too much money. Um, but there you go. You know that's where it is. I've got the book there. I've got the. Um, document that says it was raw and pure at one point um, and we've got reached ELO states before the Sex Pistols came along Yeah, <clears throat> Amel and the Sniffers Australian punk band greatest thing I've seen in 20 years right so we're going to talk about another band now and, and it's I ask you to pick a, a song from an artist from your home county yeah the Hoopers I was thought should it be I was thinking right, who, who have we got we've got Harold Jones but I never really liked him. We beat his brother up once. Um, Martin. Yeah, well, yeah, he used to come in the pub, piss and be all stupid. He didn't beat him, he got a punch in the pub because he was being a dick. That's right, it was Howard Jones from my Wickham, wasn't he? Yeah. Of course he was. Respect yourself. <laughs> no, that was Kane Gang. Um, so I was thinking, what? And then there was... Um, and I thought, no, my mates, the Hoopers, who formed an oi band just a few years too late, one of the best oi bands ever to exist, and they were my mates. All of my mates from my skinhead band, and they wrote brilliant songs, funny songs. They were just, I don't know, they were just too late. And they would never listen to me. I said, look, man, I've been working 
in the music industry, photographing Morrissey and photographing the test you right up to the fat boys, to the butthole surfers, and I said, you fucking are good. But they got a one Ori album, and you can find a couple of their songs on YouTube, but I thought, yeah, my, my mates, the Hoopers. So, right, well, you, you've just mentioned some of the people that you, you photographed over here, so I'm, I'm fascinated. Um, what, what was it like photographing Morrissey? Um, I was thinking about that before I came down. I was very young, I was 19, 20, so this would have been Smith's? Uh, or had he just gone solo? He'd just gone solo. Um, I got on the train with this Australian journalist who got sacked from enemy for calling Cliff Richard Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we went up there and I was really nervous. Where was this? We, I can't remember. We went to Manchester. He was in a deep, Sheffield or something like that. And he was in a lovely guy. But I was so, you know, nervous. I just didn't... I just... So stand there, mate, and I took half a film. I didn't take control of the situation at all, so they weren't happy with sounds. They go, these are rubbish. I go, I know. I know. I was never a very brave photographer. I don't really take that much control of situations. But I could have done a lot better job, but then again, now there he is. Anyway, I've got another funny story about him. He owes me a tenner. <coughs> Motherfucker. Did you know... That Morrissey is an absolute madness train spot. I'm on about... Completely. Train spotter. Completely. I'm on about record late numbers. I'm on about, yeah. I'm because, on... obviously, he was at Madstock. Um, Chris Boys go... <laughs> Dublin Castle. Morrissey's here. Morrissey's here. Quick-eyed me. And he wasn't fucking about it. It's like yeah. Morrissey would corner him and be like... Well, well, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so Skins had just been published. This was, your, this was your book, yeah? Yeah, my first ever, the 94 yeah. version from um, Skinhead Times. And it was basically done the cheapest, cheapest, cheapest way you could possibly do it. But just for skinheads that were dotted around the country, well, I never expected it to go anywhere above and beyond that. And um, so I went in there, Nutty Boys are playing, so I'm down there with the Nutty Boys, and um, I've got my skins book. And Morris is in there, obviously, because he's... He loves madness and he's hunting down Chrissy Boy. I went, Oi, Morrissey. I said, I've got something here, mate, you might like. And he came over and, hey, look at, he, he got my book, he looked at it, he flicked it open, and he ran out of the pub, and I never saw him again. Pay up, Moz. I know. Yeah. I literally never saw him ever in, in like, ever again. Because I, if I'm not oh, wrong, I went, on, I think, the Morrissey single Piccadilly Polare, I think Suggs. And maybe Chaz sing harmony on that, and I always wondered what that connection was. But um, I did. I did also. I did hear someone else mention no, he that he was a big fan. There's fans, and there's, I was a fan. Yeah. <laughs> you were scary. Your Christian boy would be like, here he comes. Oh God, we got to put all that stuff in a book, man. I've got to sit down with Chrissy boy, and we got to get all that down because That's I've got fantastic. the photographs. I've got the photographs to bloody back it up. That incredible, crazy time with the Nutty Boys, and I was living in Camden, hanging out with Phil Payne, his brother-in-law, on a constant basis, going around Chrissy Boy's house. It was all the time when Madness came back with Madstock. I've got all those photographs of that time, but they're just stuck in a box, like most of them are. That gig, we, we spoke about it when we took a break in the middle, and, and, and that show was... I, I think the lineup was Gallon... Legendary. It was Gallon Drunk, wasn't it? It was Terry Edwards' thing, and yeah. then it was Flowered Up, Oh, God, I, yeah, well, I was connected to all those boys because that's who Phil was connected to. Right. So I went to Glastonbury with, the, with Flowered Up. Their video was just awesome. What, Weekender? 
Fucking unbelievable. He, he passed away, didn't he, unfortunately? Who? The singer. Oh, that's Phil's best mate, man. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, uh, Shit. Yeah, it's a few. I think I did hear something like that. But yeah, they got into heroin for a laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Well, there you go then. They called it the brown tour. Yeah, it's not. Didn't really, didn't really do much after that. No, no. But if you're going to fucking touch that shit, then there you go. Yeah. So... I think it was then it was Ian Dury and the Blockheads, then it was Morrissey, and then it was Madness. That's that's a decent day out, isn't it? And I'll tell you something, I've mentioned it before on another podcast, but I remember getting there. There would be no madness without Ian Dury. There would be no madness without Kilburn and the High Roads. Completely. When I heard Kilburn and the High Roads, because madness to me, I'd never heard anything like them. Anything. I couldn't put anything to them until I heard, until I heard Kilburn and the High Roads. And I thought, and of course, I'd got a lot of love for them. They've had people from the Kilburn Kil and the High Roads playing the band throughout the years. But that was really interesting. When you love something, you just get into it, didn't you? You just... Where did we get all our information from? Because obviously you didn't have the internet, which I Yeah, but that created the passion and yeah, the yearning passion. and the journey. And the journey was the, the fun of it. I, I went to... I, I, I was a nerd for madness. I, I literally used to. I, I went to Arlington House just because they sang about it. I wanted a photo. Yeah, I, we, we drove to we drove to Primrose Hill. We bought a Morris Minor. Is I it, bought a Paradox out of R H Holt because yeah. madness went in yeah. there, you know. And it was like I was that much of a knob. Yeah, yeah we bought like, a Morris Minor and we drove to Primrose Hill. <laughs> <laughs> but, I've uh, even been to. I think I don't know if you ever went to Chelsea Bill. We went, we went to Primrose Hill in, in our Morris Minor. And it was, yeah, I used to go watch the Nutty Boys once a week, and then I'd go and watch Butterfield 8 with Bedders. And then I'd go and watch Voice of the Beehive with Woody. And, like, yeah. and I'd go and watch all their little offshoots. And Chaz, and it might even have been Chrissy Boy, wrote a play that was on a, in a boozer in North London. It had Cassandra from Fools and Horses in it. And it, was a, and it was a tiny little play above this pub. And we went there just because we knew that they were involved in it. And when we walked in, Suggs... Chrissy Boyer and Chaz were there, and I got my photos with them, and I was like, I've met, like, I've met a few of Madness, and it was the fucking I best. Know, mental, it? Oh, it was like, brilliant. Well, here's my theory. <laughs> Take it or leave it. I think when you truly love something and you're truly passionate about something, you act like a magnet, and you will bring that thing towards you, like with the Plan B thing, you know, and with the Madness thing, you know, that, that was a life-changing experience that I had when they came into my life um, it was more than just yeah I like that band and then you know I get to 27 which is beautiful because by then I didn't give a shit so I wasn't sycophantic it yeah. wasn't, you know I met them right at the right time and uh, managed to work for them and then you know become friends I ended up doing the, the Madness My Girl single when they re-released My yeah. Girl I photographed um, that so I've actually you know so yeah it came it came round in the end but my belief is if you're truly passionate about something, you will attract that thing into your life. Completely, completely. Man. Last track, Gav. The song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Well, that's, um, what's the name of it? It's uh, Gift for Karen. Yeah. By James Horner from the uh, film Brainstorm, which is not a very well-known film, but it was, the guy was a, the guy that made it was a um, special effects guy, but the film is so beautiful. So it's, sometimes, especially within the movie or anything that involves a group, 
a group will come together and create something of great beauty where everything is fluid and flowing from the soundtrack to the idea of the movie to the acting. It was Natalie Wood's last movie. But what blew me away about this, I saw it my first one when I was 15, 16, was they invented, invented a machine that could um, record your feelings and get the other person to feel your feelings. So if you're in love with somebody, they'd feel exactly how you felt. And that, because I was always trying to be understood, that touched me. And that music that he made for that is just, to me, perfect. It's one of the greatest scenes in, in cinema history to me. That's beautiful. So, before, before we come to an end, I want to... He walks in, to the scene he walks in there, and he's... He managed to record a bit of his wife's, they're going for a divorce, and, and he just walks in and goes, I made this for you, Chris Walken. She goes, what is it? It's me. Just love that. Fantastic. You have a crowdfunder, Gav. I unfortunately do. I'm going to be very quick about it. Um, I've got my new book coming out. It's going to be published anyway. Um, it's called I oh, What Fun We Had. And my publishing company have like said if you give us five grand we'll take it to all the book, book fairs around the world which is fair enough you know the publishing world's been ripped apart the same as music but the same as everything you know books are still around but the you know you've still got to hustle so I'm hustling for this five grand to get my book um, sent to all the book fairs so I can get a little bit more of a fair a fair bash at getting it out there um, so yeah, basically it's Gavin Watson. Oh, what fun we had! Crowdfunder. Um, Where can uh, people find that, Gav? Is there a link on your website? Yeah, on my Facebook. My daughter has just taken over my Facebook profile, and is just sorting me out and making it a little bit more professional. And on my Instagram, which is Javin Watson with a J, not a G. I wish I'd never done that now, but it's too late. But <laughs> there you go. But um, when this when this comes out, Gav, what I'll do is I'll tag all of the links on yeah, all, right. all our posts, so it'll direct people through, so people can go and um, also have a look at your your work. If if listeners haven't seen any of your work before, then they can go and look at that. And yeah, then you, I love doing this. Just go, what you've done, and I just get my phone out of Gavin Watson, not even photographer Google, because I'm a fucking arrogant bastard. I go there, you go. <laughs> like Google's my sort of um, portfolio. That's all you have to do. If you want to know, see what I've done, just type Gavin Watson, photographer. Don't even have to do that. And go to images and there it is. It's all up there. I just get freaking out, really, because the amount of people, in the, you know, I just don't think anyone knows who I am. It's always a shock when they do for me. I'm still pretty... I'm owning it. I'm sort of owning it as time goes on. But your work speaks for itself, Gav. I know. I'm lucky that I could actually talk about it because it wouldn't matter if I dropped dead tomorrow. The work still would be there. It's, a, it's bigger than me now. It's like a monster. But if I can sort of, you know, benefit out of, out of it and explain it to people, that's where the acting came in, I suppose. You know, I'm not your typical photographer. I can still do it as well, which is nice because a lot... Doc Martin took a massive risk on me when they when they'd done their uh, First and Forever campaign with Agnes Dean. And um, 
my friend Simon Jobson, who was the art director, goes, no, we're using Gavin Watson. And they fought him all the way. He's like, listen, man, this geezer ain't done anything for 30 years. <laughs> There's no proof that he can do anything, but we smashed it. So that brought me a lot of confidence back to know that I can go into corporate photography and smash it and do that. And uh, my fingers haven't fallen off. So, oh, he used to be good. <laughs> oh, he's lost it a bit. <laughs> Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Stuart. Mate. Really Thank you so much. It. I hope I haven't been droning on. You haven't long. at all, mate. Like I, I was so excited to when you responded when I sent a message out. I just thought he said yes, he's going to come and have a chat. And yeah, absolutely. I said something to myself. Well, I'd said it a few years ago, but I'm actually sticking to it now. I'm going to say fucking yes to a lot more stuff because I'm a lazy stonehead, and I will put things off. I'll, I'll say yeah, and then go. Oh, I can't make up some excuse so I've decided that um, I'm going to say yes to a lot more because it always leads to something else yeah always so uh, yeah thank you very much for inviting me you've made me think a lot over the last two days that's good about music and about what it's meant to me and about what the actual music has meant to me so trying to choose these songs I could have been lazy which I normally am and just gone yeah there you go have that but I'd really thought about these and it really opened up a lot of channels um, in my thought process. So thank you for that. Mate, thank you. And thank you for sending me the uh, rave images so I'll be putting a book out of Gavin's well, stuff no, mate, on the side. Stick, stick, <laughs> stick a couple of them up on the website. If you want to use them on your website, you're totally welcome. Oh, Gav, thank you very much, mate. Sorry, bro. There you go. Mr. Gavin Watson. It was just, it was fascinating. He's so charismatic. He's so, he's just a fascinating man. Absolutely fascinating. And um, if you haven't checked Gav's work now, then what's wrong with you? Go and have a look at it. It will, it will absolutely knock you sideways. It's, and it blows my mind that someone at that age, you know, being part of like such a strong youth culture, um, he had a camera in his hand. I just think it's amazing to be a, an acid house rave and you've got a camera in your hand. It's just brilliant because there is so little of these these movements at these points that are captured and not just captured, but captured beautifully. And, and you know, it, it's credit to someone like Gav that, that was there and, and has snapshots of their moments because they're vital to to you know to British culture and yeah absolutely fascinating thanks ever so much for listening um there'll be another episode next week um if you like listening to people talking about their creative journeys then please have a little look through the back catalogue because we've got loads of stuff that you can go and have a listen to and you can find out about everything that's going on um, with the podcast and the radio shows and the the merchandise and the Spotify playlist that accompany each episode so you can go and listen to all the songs that our guests talk about, www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.